Hello everyone. Um, my name's Rachel Siggy and I'm so delighted to welcome you to the BAFTA and BBC One Q&A for everything I know about love. Um, the series is produced by Working Title Television, which is part of Universal International Studios. And today's session is part of BAFTA's Learning, Inclusion and Talent programme, which aims to inspire industry practitioners and the public through sharing craft insights, championing underrepresented voices and exploring key issues facing our industry. If you'd like to catch up on previous events, head to the BAFTA Guru YouTube channel and BAFTA SoundCloud. We will be taking audience questions at the end of the Q&A, and if you're pressed, can you please state your name and publication alongside your question? But finally, and most importantly, please welcome our speakers this evening. Cast members, Emma Appleton, Belle Powley, Marley Sue, Alia Adolphin. <laughs> Casting, di Casting director, Aisha Bywaters, executive producer, Syrian Fletcher-Jones, director, China Mu Young, and of course, creator and executive producer, Dolly Alderton. <laughs> So I think we ought to kick off with Dolly because without her, we wouldn't all be sitting here tonight and we wouldn't have just watched that. So can you tell us a bit about the journey from book to screen? How did you approach turning what was a memoir into a narrative show? How did it change shape? Um, I think the most freeing thing that happened is I decided to semi-fictionalise it. And that happened off the back of me hearing Surian and another producer having a debate about Dolly's character very early on. Um, and I just thought this is going to be too much of a head fuck. So I just decided to change their names and then I decided to kind of open up the world. Because the, the really shit thing about writing a memoir is, um, other than all the exposure and the therapy you have to do, um, is you're limited by what happened in real life. And real life can be very unsatisfying and one note. And um, you can't take it in lots of different directions. It's my favorite thing when I see a one star review on Amazon and people say the plot wasn't satisfying. I'm like, try living it. Um, <laughs> so uh, the minute that I kind of decided to open that up and decided to take the kind of es essence of the show, which is this kind of grand romantic story about female friendship and a coming of age story for the protagonist and a, and a girl gang show for this group of girls who've just moved to London. That was what I was taking and, the, and then the rest of it was kind of as imagined as I, as I wanted it to be. Does it still feel, even with those fictionalised elements, that you're, you're watching some of your own stories unfold on screen there? There's obviously moments from the book that people will recognise and how does it feel when you see those little little moments really trippy and weird uh, my best friend Farley who I wrote the book about is here tonight and seeing it for the first time and if you have any complaints Farley, you're gonna have to talk to Charlotte from the BBC <laughs> uh, um, yeah like trippy the thing that's good about TV is that it's so protracted <laughs> it's such a long process it means it gives you lots of micro opportunities to get your head around the trippiness so it was trippy when I was in Maggie's childhood home and cutting out pictures of Will Young to put on her bedroom wall. And it was trippy when I saw the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me in my romantic life ever reenacted by Street and Maggie. And I was sitting cringing behind a monitor with China. You know, it was trippy walking around the girl's house and like carefully putting ratty pants on the radiators in a very specific way that I knew our radiators looked like in 2012. All of that's trippy, but it's like, it, it's done in such a long process that I kind of, have been able to get to this point and not implode. Is their flat a bit nicer than your flat was? Yeah, it is a tiny <laughs> bit nicer. It was hard that because China and I were so keen to keep it real. 
but you've got to want to spend time there, you know. So we had to, yeah, we, we compromised a bit. Um, Syrian and China, I really wanted to ask you, what were your early conversations like in terms of capturing Dolly's voice and this story of fierce female friendship? What, what were you discussing when you first got together? Yeah I, I, yeah, I guess I started... Well, when we started the process, we... You know, we, she, Dolly's just very funny, isn't she? My first impressions of the book were just the kind of... The directness, you feel... You, I read it in one sitting one night, and, you know, by the end of it, you feel like you've hung out for the evening with your best friend. So we just wanted to keep that, you know, and um, and to kind of explore uh, just the essence of, of female friendship, women making each other laugh, because that hasn't been done that much on screen. That was really important to us, wasn't it, Dolly? Mm. Um, and kind of lifting each other up and supporting each other and just all the facets of it, really. So that was that was where we began at the scripting stage. Yeah, and for me, it was... I really connected with the book. I have a best friend, a very similar background in North London growing up. I, it, it was a very personal connection. And then what I feel Donnie's kind of personal amazing thing is that it's so honest and raw and for me when we were discussing how we shoot it it needed to be point of view driven and it needed to be not polished and too stylish it, you know, it still had a, a lovely quality to it but not feel like it was overly contrived and artful because it's a very specific place this 2012 Camden, bringing back some really dreadful memories. Thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> what were your what were your reference point, points for that? What did what had to be in the show to make that time and space specific? We kind of picked and you you always put in the script where the places in London were, and then we kind of picked and choose sort of which bars, which clubs we were going to. You know, we wanted a whole continuity of old man's pubs and the Marathon Bar, the Disco in Chalk Farm, and. Primrose Hill was always going to be in it. So, yeah. Um, and, Syrian, you brought on Aisha as casting director, hot on the heels of her BAFTA winning success. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> um, for We Are Lady Parts. Uh, and she's also a BAFTA breakthrough talent. Why was she the right person to bring on? Um, well, because the process is so enjoyable, firstly, with Aisha, but um, she's just got an incredible eye for new talent and, um, and, and just thinking outside the box and looking far and wide. And, um, you know, so we wanted... I mean, look, you know, we look at the results. You can obviously... <laughs> I was right. Because <laughs> we've just found ourselves with the f most fabulous four girls. And, Alia, it's, we're so proud that it's your first gig straight out of drama school. So that's just... <laughs> That's just a real coup, but, you know. Um, yeah. So, Aisha, tell us, how did you get this sort of this alchemy, this chemistry right? Because it's essential that these four young women are the right four young women for the show to work. Sure. I mean, first of all, I didn't do it. They did it, and they did it <laughs> amazingly. Um, um, we saw a lot of people. <laughs> uh, it was really hard. That's, that's what I'll say. It was really intense. Um, this book is really special to people. And there were a lot of people who believed that they were really right for this story, um, which slightly got in the way of, <laughs> <laughs> of them being right. Um, I don't know what you guys feel, but literally when all four of these actors came in the room, it, it was instant that it was. Yeah, it was. 
I remember the moment when I was just like, oh, that's the show. I know what the show is now. Is the first time we did all the girls. We knew they were our first choices when we saw them. And then when we did a chemistry test with, um, with Emma and Belle, and we um, surprised them by just playing a Beyonce song, and they just had to dance. <laughs> <laughs> together and we filmed it and just watched it with stony faces um and um and then when we just felt the four of them saw them the four of them in a room together there was just something you know it's another that the ensemble is so much a part of it like I was so those girl gang shows that we love like girls is a show that's so important to me but in that across six series I think there's like 12 scenes where the four of them are in the scene together and we just we wanted the show to live and die on the scenes of the four of them lounging around at home making each other laugh and um being honest with each other so that that chemistry was the was just the most important thing so Emma Belle Marley Alia the fab four at the heart of the show um tell me about getting cast in this and getting to know each other. How did you guys figure out the chemistry between you for your characters? Well, we were lucky because we had a chemistry read and Belle asked if she could put her leg on me and I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's connection there. Um, and then it was kind of when we all got in a room together. We'd all been cast, so we didn't know which way it was going to go. Um, and China asked us to do some improvisation, which sent a lot of fear into us, but you actually couldn't shut us up. And then we learned a dance routine. There's a lot of dancing in this There's show. There's so much dancing. I've, I've been lucky enough to see a few more episodes and the dancing really keeps up the pace. <laughs> There's a lot of dancing. Yeah, and we could have done with more dancing. <laughs> we would have been fine with that. Alia um, <laughs> is uh, the best dancer in the entire world. And we literally, in rehearsals, we were so lucky. We had like a week of rehearsal, which is quite like rare, like on a show. Um, as you said, with all this improvisation, but also with this amazing choreographer learning this dance. And Alia was obviously the best, and we'd go back to our apartment, and then we'd do, like, little dance rehearsals on our own. Um, but, yeah, we just instantly all became really close. And that's so rare. Like, I have five friends from things I've worked on, and three of them are, like, sitting right <laughs> here. <laughs> like, and we're actually mates. Like, we all really, really get on, and we're so lucky in that sense. Like, the chemistry was just there from the start. Um, Marley, can you tell us a bit about Nell? Because we, we saw the beginnings of, of uh, her maybe not perfect relationship in that first episode. What can you tell us about her? Yeah, Dolly sort of planted um, seeds of, uh, of uh, Nell and Neil, who's here, Jordan, um, <laughs> who's wonderful. Um, All the boys are wonderful. Um, and yeah, I think it's a really interesting story that, that Nell sort of um, goes through. And I think Dolly's done a really interesting thing of looking at different types of love. It's funny because Dolly's there and she's looking at me. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, look up there. Um, so I, I, was, I was really excited when I saw the storyline for Nell was about long-term relationships and uh, what can come with that and the highs and lows of that. And yeah, I hope, I hope some people might relate to some of it. Um, what with these characters, how, what resonated most for you guys in terms of being in your 20s, trying to figure out how to, <laughs> how to grow up and having these close female friendships? What moments kind of really spoke to you from the script? Well, um, I'm still in them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all of it. <laughs> well, don't um, brag. <laughs> yeah, not brag, guys, but I am. Um, I know, I, to be honest, I feel like 
This show was a really good opportunity to learn more about friendships. I don't think you get that a lot with a job. Um, there's so much in the script and in filming the show that kind of showed another view of what it takes to actually maintain friendships. And it's work and it's like effort and to put in and the care. And that was really cool to see and then kind of implement in my own life. But I mean, the dance routines, as we've already spoken about, was something I always did, as my mother can attest to, um, <laughs> the noise in the house. So that was really cool. It was, it was cool to go back to those things that you know really well and you do all the time. Yeah. And massive congratulations on this being your screen debut. Thank as we've you. Already said. Thank you very much. What was it like being on set? What was your experience like? It was wicked. I was surprisingly comfortable and really calm going into it. I thought maybe it would feel quite overwhelming coming out of drama school. But as Belle said, everybody clicked really, really fast. And we all got on really well. And the set was a really peaceful place to be. So it was nice to just play and have fun and do the job. And that was really cool, yeah. Well, so as well as this being um, a show with women in front of the camera, this was a female-led production behind the scenes as well. Who was the driving force behind that and, and what impact did that have? I don't know, Siri, maybe you can kick yeah, us off. Well, the, one the one person who's not sitting um, on the panel is actually a man. Well. <laughs> he produced the show for us, Simon Maloney. Thank you, Simon. You're amazing. Um, so he was, he was the, you know, he was, we, we shot the show in Manchester and um, he was just the, the person that brought the, life and soul to the party wasn't he really he just he just knows how to run a happy set and I think it was just such a positive experience for for everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera so it was kind of I've never been on a set that was just every everyone everyone loved the project for a start you know I think it just has hit that zeitgeist of people wanting to watch cheerful um you know funny material that's life essentially life affirming even if it takes you to some sort of uh, painful dark places you know and I and I think that um so everyone kind of loved the material and then yeah Simon just ran a really really happy set and obviously you know uh, working title tv you know that we've got a great infrastructure there and a great team of people behind the scenes as well so we all just kind of pulled together to make it a really positive experience I hope I think for everybody it sounds like it was a happy set were you guys rolling down hills on your days up <laughs> Can I tell you, my happiest moment on set that I've actually just remembered is the day that Emma came in to shoot and told us that she just won a year's supply of delivery. <laughs> and Reese's Cups. And Reese's Cups. <laughs> Emma, please tell us more. <laughs> Guys, I'm just going to say, if you're ever on delivery and they say enter a competition, do it, because you might win. <laughs> and you might think it's a scam phone call, but it's not. And then you can do coffee runs for everyone, and they'll be your best friends. The glamour of TV. <laughs> Um, China, what was important for you in terms of um, being on set? What kind of energy did you want to create? Because it seems like everybody absolutely loved it. Yeah, I mean, from the beginning, as they've said, they all clicked. I was came out, we did this improvisation, they all sat on a sofa, and I took five minutes out and came to see Dolly and, and Surin and Simon was like, we've got it. They're fine. This is going to be great. And um, in terms of a set, you know, it's... It's a calm, quiet place. I don't like phones on set. It was a lot to do. We had 12-week shoot. Nine weeks were splits. So it was quite gruelling, but everybody loved the production. You know, all HODs and crew. It was really quite an unusual production where 
everyone really, really engaged with it. And Dolly was there most days on set, which was really helpful and brilliant. Trying to befriend the actors. <laughs> Did you succeed? <laughs> I constantly was just sidling up to them being like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> By the way, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but do you want a bit of goss? I was just the teacher that was so desperate to be friends <laughs> with the kids. You're like tie loosened on the desk. <laughs> but normally, sometimes, you know, the vi set visit with a writer, you, sometimes they're not around and it's a formidable thing and, and people are like, oh, the writer's coming today. And, and Dolly was around every day and the crew and cast were just so happy for that to be a process because it was really great. She could give notes. So it's brilliant. So they couldn't get rid of you? No, as hard as they tried, no. So obviously this, is not your, this was not your first job in television. How did it feel stepping into the shoes of being executive producer and you know, your name right on the front of it? Um, well, it's, it's, it's so different to any other sort of creative thing that I've done because there are so many people that make a TV show, which I just didn't quite understand until, until I made this. You know, it's not, it takes a village, it takes a county it takes a country to get a tv show made it's like you know people driving people everywhere and you know people watching continuity and people keeping their eye on the props people watching the pants on the radiator to make sure that they haven't moved an inch so it's there's just so many people so many creative heads so many heads of department um that it really really does you know even just now like sitting with like all these incredible people uh next to me that have all help make it by which I mean it is all of our fault if it goes badly wrong <laughs> is what I'm saying um it's you share the responsibility with everyone and um that's just it, that's just a really lovely experience it's made me realize actually how much you're on your own when you write a book you're basically just booted out onto the stage on your own and that's enjoyable in its own way but I've loved the collaboration of so many hundreds of people making something together and this this was this wasn't affected by the pandemic was it this Start. It, it didn't have a delay. Um, I think that this actually benefited from the pandemic when I was writing it because I was just sitting on my own night after night after night drinking the George Clooney tequila um, <laughs> that you can order on a cardo, uh, writing the script and yearning for nights out and yearning for dates and yearning for kissing and hugging and dancing and all those, you know, flat sharing, all those things. It was such a lonely time for so many people, for everyone, that winter lockdown. And that is when I wrote the whole show. So I actually think in a weird way, I was just like dreaming of this world actually I was like yearning 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 for it so there are a lot of party scenes um in the show there's lots of dancing drinking drugs good decisions terrible decisions China how do you go about orchestrating and choreographing an effective party <laughs> that feels authentic well, part of it was the fact that we rehearsed we did we did a whole day with uh, our choreographer Anti Misson. And I really thought it was important that all the girls found the way their character danced because I knew that we'd have period, days or nights where Anthony wasn't available or, and also it needed to feel not like that. And also, once they had their tails, I could kind of direct that. And part of the reason I came on board was because of the dance because I just <laughs> loved it. And it was one of the things I talked about in my pitch a lot. So we just broke down each scene and sometimes we did it like your lone dance naked uh emma and i did together because it was intimacy and a close set and then the group dancing of which there are more kind of more formal routines they work with anthony a lot so you just kind of work it out and it, it is quite overwhelming <laughs> as as actors in the scene how how does it feel being at 
I guess what's a fake party? I'm always interested to know how people do their drunk acting, um, of which there's plenty in this. Well, a couple of times we did have a real shot of tequila. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a BBC it's show, but we're not allowed to say things. But it's not, it's not, it's not hard with this lot. And like we, they play like the background music like a couple of times first to get you like revved up. And all the music in the show was so good. They, they, they play the actual song that like Dolly wanted for that scene. And then we just dance the night away <laughs> with, a, with a shop to keep. <laughs> <laughs> Were you able to get all of the music that you wanted? Because the, the, the needle drops are how great as the show goes on. I'm glad you think so. So the script, I, I knew nothing about production and licensing, and I remember when China first looked at the script, she was like, now, these Rolling Stones songs. <laughs> and I'm a big Rolling Stones fan. <laughs> She's like, I'm afraid I am going to have to break your heart. We had this amazing music supervisor called Ian Cook, and he knew how important this music was, because as I said, I was literally just alone with these scripts month after month, just listening to those songs over and over again, drinking my George Clooney tequila. And um, I really, you know, they were so baked into the scenes for me, so I was so heartbroken to think about losing them. Um, but it, the music supervisor really understood what the, basically, for every song we couldn't afford, he would give me a Spotify playlist and say, here's what we can't afford. So for example, the first dancing scene, that was meant to be Marvin Gaye, Gotta Give It Up. He says, love that song, can't afford it. May I give you Down With The Trumpets by Rizzlekicks? <laughs> Which weirdly was a total tonal match. Um, so it was like a kind of heartbreak initially. And then it actually forced, it forced us to be really creative, I think. And I quickly understood the things that you can't put in. Hip hop out, Motown out, Rolling Stones out. Um, but it made us find like even better unusual decision make unusual decisions I think with music I mean Emma that dance scene from the first episode is I, I think it's fair to say will, will be iconic which one um, <laughs> oh, that one yeah yeah the one that... where you, you got a bit of Hugh Grant love actually wiggle I'll take that <laughs> yeah it was kind of became the jellyfish dance the yeah yeah um Obviously, you felt completely safe and happy doing that dance with China. Was there anything in the script that, that worried you or scared you as an actor? The first time I read it, there's at the end of one episode, is what we called the Tinder montage, where uh, Maggie and Amara, you see them just enjoying life, being women, going out and meeting uh, guys and girls, um, and just exploring that. And the first time I read that, I was like, ooh, that's quite a lot. Um, <laughs> But, it was back-to-back bonking, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but having lots of conversations with China and conversations with Dolly and being made to feel really safe, and none of it's gratuitous as well. It's, you know, there's some gags in there. Um, so it feels like you're just seeing two women having fun in their 20s rather than just sex on screen. So you had this big responsibility, the lead of the show, and also you're playing, although obviously lots of it's fictionalised, this sort of Dolly avatar um, what kind of conversations did the two of you have about getting, get, creating this character of Maggie and bringing her to life? Um, the first time we sat down was when we were in Manchester and we just got a bottle of wine in. And she said, I'm going to tell you the whole series, I'm going to tell you the whole arc. Um, and I just asked like a million and one questions and Dolly was always there as well. The dialogue was always open. Um, and whilst I knew it was semi-fictionalised, I also wanted, you know, something to handle with care and be respectful um, and just make it authentic and true and make her proud. Aww. Aww. <laughs>
Um, and obviously there's this, it's the four of them, but this childhood friendship um, between Maggie and Birdie, which people will recognise from, from the book. What did the two of you want to, most to come across with that? Because while we've said it's happy set, so loads of humour, but there is, there's some really tough moments in there as well. There's some heartbreak. I think for me it was getting across the fact that they were basically like their first loves. Like that's the relationship they grew up having. It's only later when romantic relationships are involved um, and how that displaces them and not knowing what that's going to look like or what their future is going to be. Yeah, I think that... <laughs> no, I was going to say, that I think that as you guys will watch the whole show, like, both of their narratives are true to so many women. Like, people will understand both sides of the story. Um, you start off laughing, you'll end up crying. <laughs> it gets pretty sad. Um, but, yeah, it's a very relatable, like, re relationship. And as you said, yeah, it's a story about love and, like, the love of true true friendship, which I think, you know, we can all relate to. Absolutely we can. Um, Aisha, how, I don't know how much once you've cast this, these girls, whether you're just like, see you later, um, but how does it feel to see now that it come to fruition? Um, when do you know that you've, you've done your job right? Yeah, I mean, it is a little bit like, see you later. <laughs> Good luck, everyone. <laughs> um, and I suppose, you know, that is the thing about the show. It's about friendship and female friendship and just these guys weren't friends so that was the really daunting task um so I was saying this earlier actually and it was when it was one of your last or all of your last days on set and I think Belle you put on Instagram a picture of all of you the four of them hugging um and I was just like okay I think we did it <laughs> and that's because you just you, you you don't know but I was like okay I think they've got a connection which is sort of great and also just yeah honoring the book and honoring Dolly and the thing is, throughout the process, Dolly, as everyone's saying, was really open. So really open with me and talking about herself and her friendships. And so I could try and understand and recreate it. But then also, I suppose, bring all of us into it. Um, because that's all I ever think about is, as an audience, what do we want to see? And this is exactly the show that I want to watch. Um, so, yeah, that photo. <laughs> it says it all. Um, so we were talking before the show about you intentionally wanted to make this a diverse show and there were lots of decisions that were, that were made early on with, regarding the writer's room. Um, can you tell me a bit about how you figured out that out and, and what you wanted the end show to look like? Yeah, I mean, the show is about the experience of moving to the big city um, and that that experience uh, is, is common to many different types of people. So we wanted everybody viewing it to feel like they could see a bit of themselves. Um, so at the start of the process, we ran a sort of development writer's room of, of really, really diverse writers from up and down the country and different class backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds. And we just sort of really kind of brainstormed that who that four could be. Um, and the, the characters of um, Nell and Amara were sort of con concoctions, really, weren't they? They were sort of loosely based on bits and pieces of real friendships. But yeah, I wondered, I wondered that. I wanted to ask, you've invented these characters and you've sort of tweaked mm. other characters, but how did, how did Nell and Amara 
come to life. Nell and Amara are a mix. They're uh, an inspiration of some of my friends, about four of my friends, um, different characteristics that I've pulled together, and then a lot of it was imagination. Um, and the thing that Writer's Room really helped me with is it just unshackled me from the book. And it just made me, you know, lots of the girls in the writer's room had lived in house shares with girls as well. So there was suddenly like all these other textual details that I hadn't experienced that I just thought that would be so brilliant for building the world of, of these four girls together. Um, so yeah, it was, the, it was the best first step that we could take because it, it kind of meant I could throw the book out for a while, which is what I needed to do. Um, I'm going to do one more question, then we'll come to um, audience questions, so be ready. Um, China, I wanted to ask, lastly, about the flashbacks to suburbia, to the girls when they're sort of 12 through, through their later teens. Um, we see a few glimpses in the first episode, but there's much more of that and more dance routines. Um, how did you decide what to flash back to and what, what was important to the story and how did you make sure that these two young actresses and the two older actresses were operating in parallel. Yeah, we had lots of conversations about that. They were always in the script and they moved around actually all the flashbacks. We kind of moved them around across the series. We needed baby ones at the first meet, the meet cute. So we, we um, it was quite difficult finding sort of young versions of these two because they're so distinctive looking. So we, it was, it was quite hard work. And then we, you see little flashes of the second ones. So there's teen ones. They're, they're over 16 as well. So we've got two sets. And um, yeah, we wanted to lens them differently, but always it was always a kicker of when, how, when and how is Maggie going back to these memories of friendship, these first memories. And it was always a, an emotional connection rather than it being um, exposition. It always just had to come from the heart, really. That was the, the decision-making on it. I think that having seen a little bit more, I think that absolutely comes across. Um, and you've also you nailed it with the casting with those with those younger girls. <laughs> um, so I'd love to throw it out to the audience. We've got a roving mic. If anyone wants to wave at me or the mic person, I'm pretty loud. <laughs> I would love there to be a season two, yeah. And you know, the the book um, as well is about about your twenties. It's we we're honing in on a very specific bit, but your twenties. I still think that that you know the difference between a twenty four year old and a twenty seven year old is enormous. It's like you know dog years. So <laughs> I feel like there are so many stories. I, there are so many things that I want to know about the girls. I want to know more about. Nell's family and I want to know more about Amara's love life and I want to know about you know there are just so many things that, I, that I'm desperate to get into with all four of them so I would love another series please <laughs> I wonder if the people in the room are listening <laughs> um, do we have anyone else with a question oh we've got one right up in the middle there hello hi that's yeah. quite loud um uh I, first of all, I'm going to sound really lame and like everybody who came into your casting sessions and thought that the book spoke to them personally. But, um, yeah, wonderful book. Thank you very Thank much you for very writing much. it. Thank you um, I just wondered, uh, watching this just now, felt like so often you watch things about your 20s or your teen years and that's quite over-dramatised maybe, like there's a lot of things out when 
sorry, my voice is shaking, which is so embarrassing. It's just because I'm nervous. <laughs> um, no, when I was growing up, I watched Skins, and when now it's like euphoria, and you see people having these crazy, wild nights out, and you think, oh my God, well, my life is so dull and so boring. And, <laughs> and then you watch something like this, and you think, it's just the loveliness of real life and real bohemian moments, I suppose. Um, and I just wondered, with the fact, just when you said earlier about sort of untethering it from your own life, when writing, I just wondered if there was kind of moments where it was felt tempting to over-dramatise or over-romanticise anything and if you had to then sort of ground it back in real life. Yes, definitely. I'm a big self-mythologiser, um, <laughs> as we all know. Um, I can talk about, like, a shit house party from last week, like it was the summer of 69. Um, so I had to be very careful. I think the thing that really saved us, actually, that I kept thinking about with these girls, because we didn't want it to be elitist, and we didn't want it to be super cool, and we didn't want it to be, you know, darkly transgressive. There are moments of transgression, but we wanted, you know, warmth to be at the heart of all that. And, like... I hope you girls aren't offended when I say this. You really nailed it. I remember Aisha and I having a conversation of, oh, all of them are really uncool. <laughs> and the minute that we realised that, we were like, oh, they're not going to be at, at warehouse parties in Hackney. They're not part of any scene in 2012. All of them were not in the cool gang at school. They're excited provincial girls who are fun and funny and they're really cool. They're rock stars together, but they're not cool outside of their home. And I think that that, like, really... Helped us. I want to pass over to you girls to answer that because I I, <laughs> yes, girls, one of my favourite things that Maggie does is when she googles where can I find warehouse parties <laughs> <laughs> while she's eating a block of cheese. <laughs> so funny. Oh, sorry, the pizza sandwich. <laughs> I mean, were you just thrilled to be able to be very uncool and not have to be poised? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I think it's the thing of female friendships that you can kind of be unapologetically yourself, which probably, if everybody's with their friends, you're probably not that cool because together you can kind of let go of any inhibition. So it was just having a lot of fun and that's not cool, I guess. <laughs> but like, it is cool, you know, that thing. There is a good healthy dose of lameness, yeah, which, yeah. I think yes. is, which I think is important. <laughs> um, does anyone else have a question? There's one up in the middle there. Okay, that's better. Um, firstly, I just wanted to second the comment, which is that, I mean, for me and all of my friends, this book and basically all of Dolly's work that we've been able to consume has got us through our late teens and our 20s, so thank you. <laughs> um, but secondly, and I don't normally detract the focus in this way from such an important story of female friendship, but um, what about the boys? I was just wondering how it was seeing those characters on the screen and how much they were fictionalized and um, how you found the development of those and how you found interacting with them and the other romantic partners that I'm assuming come in later. Hey, the poor boys, you barely fucking talk about them. And they are, so, <laughs> they are such an important part of the show. Um, they are the other vital organ, if not the heart of the show. They are the lungs of the show. Um, and bad metaphor. Um, <laughs> They street, so street, I think we can say, Aisha said that there's always one part that's impossible to cast. Just impossible. <laughs> <laughs> just like, just went How on and on and on. 
I, I, when he came in the room, I just couldn't believe it. He was finally here. It was like, it was unbelievable. And we all agreed. Yeah. We, we all, all agreed. Yeah. It was like a first date where you know. Yeah. And he was the last one. He was the last one we saw. Um, and the minute that we saw him, we were like, oh, this is the dude we've been looking for. Um, and yeah, Street was really hard because we wanted him to be... Um, you know, he, he's kind of harboring a bit of a lie in the same way that Maggie is. He's come to London to be an, an, a new person. Um, so we wanted to get that kind of vulnerability within him kind of buried deep, deep down. Um, but he also had to be a bit of a prick. Um, and he also had to be someone, I think we said in the casting breakdown that he had to be someone that Maggie had never met before. He, you know, he couldn't be like some campus university hunk. He had to be someone that she found totally beguiling. And um, yeah, it was just difficult to, we, we, and we needed to make him really sexy. Like we wanted girls to really fancy him and, and at points root for them. So uh, yeah, so that took, a, that took a really long time. Um, Ryan, um, who plays Nathan, he, I, I, I was worried that Ryan was too attractive, actually, to play <laughs> Nathan initially. Um, but we put him in a very baggy suit and we locked all his lovely curls off. Um, but he just managed to make Nathan likeable. Um, I think that I definitely, when I was writing Nathan, I, I could lean a little bit too far on kind of caricaturing him. Uh, and China always brought me back and said, you've got to stop making digs about Nathan. We've got to make him human. We've got to know why Birdie's fallen in love with him. Um, and then Jordan playing Neil. Um, we were actually sort of screwed by how amazing Jordan was because we we just, we ended up, when we were watching it, which I didn't expect, like really, really wanting Nell and Neil to stay together. Um, and so basically what I'm saying is I wrote these quite uh, flat, two-dimensional, unlikable men, and then we cast these incredible actors <laughs> and they made them uh, believable, lovable people who have just been so important for the story. I'm sure you're doing yourself a disservice there, but as you said, takes a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we've probably got time for one more question. I feel like we can't finish on the boys either. Should we go, we'll go down here. I just feel I've talked too much about being in my 20s, so I'm going to defer to the four girls to, to talk about what they've learned. You don't need to have your shit together. You don't have to feel like you have your shit together. And I learned that those kind of milestones that are potentially placed on us in society of like, you should probably have a mortgage by now, or why don't you have the long-term steady relationship? It doesn't matter. As long as you're enjoying it and figuring it out and you keep going and you've got amazing friends... You're fine. I'm 30 is great. <laughs> so I was gonna say, I was gonna say, you're fine. Like, and I feel like in my 20s so much, I didn't trust my gut instinct. And now I'm 30, I've learned, oh, well, my gut instinct was right the whole time. Um, so yeah, just trust yourself and you're gonna be okay. <laughs> um, I guess like similar to you guys, to like enjoy it as well. Like it's the hard, it's, there's a lot of hard stuff in your 20s trying to figure out and not really knowing yourself. And I think it's also a very specific time that you will never get back. So like enjoy the messiness and like the mistakes and like don't be so hard on yourself. 
Yeah, like ditto. I'm in them, so I'm just doing all of that, really. <laughs> Well, that, that seems like the perfect note to end on. A huge thank, thank you for tonight to BAFTA, the BBC, Working Title Television and Universal International Studios, to our wonderful audience, and most of all, to our majestic panel. Thank you so much for coming.